huge deal for us to pull off in the middle of the summer, and it takes a lot of hands on deck and a lot of love. And uh, thanks for doing that. It's a great means of outreach, too, and just being able to support uh, in the community as we continue to build uh, family ministries, if you will. Um, I'd also like to thank everybody that came for work day yesterday. We got some painting done and cleaned up some stuff. We're not completely done yet, so if you'd like to help, we're probably going to schedule another Saturday to finish uh, doing some of the painting and cleaning up. But uh, that was a good step, so thanks for being a part of that. It's just fun to see the church come together and uh, serve together. I'd like to take just a few moments, though, as we're sort of here um, just together as family. Um, I know I've uh, been coming and going just a little bit. I know many of you have as well. But we come together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to worship him, to hear from him, and to hear from one another and be encouraged by one another. And I thought maybe I'd just take a few moments this morning and give you the opportunity to stand up and give a shout out to God for something that's been happening maybe this summer in your life that you just want to thank God for. The floor is yours. Yeah, say your name. Amen. Thank you, Ed. You didn't hear him to give the strength for him to quit drugs, man. Huge milestone. Thanks. Isn't that great? Amen. Someone else, just want to give a shout out to God, thanking him for something that's happening in your life. Steve, all the way back. That's a great praise. Wow. It's the story there, I'm sure, Steve. <laughs> but God's at work, right? That's good. Now there's a shout out to just thanking God, giving him praise. It's an act of worship, you know, to acknowledge it before the body of Christ, friends and family. Something else God's doing. Now you're trying to think, what is God doing? Right? See, it's a good discipline, right? Oh, yeah. I guess, was that God or was that not? (laughs) Well, I had the opportunity last week. uh, One of the reasons I stayed a few extra days was to work on the house we still own there, hopefully trying to get it on the market later this year. But um, it's still raining in the Midwest and got rained out, and I was going to finish up some projects on Sunday as I was passing through uh, to drive. We literally drove back to California. And so it starts raining as I'm driving to Indianapolis from up north where uh, my family's from. And uh, we got to the house, and I turned to my son, and I said, well, what should we do? It's raining. I can't finish what I was going to be doing because I wanted to do some painting and staining and stuff on the outside. And uh, I said, we could go to church. Well, uh, church for us in the northwest side of Indianapolis is the church I was at for 20 years. And I transitioned from there five years ago. And uh, my son said, well, yeah, let's go to Eagle. I'm like, I have not been back to the church that I pastored for Sunday morning in five years. And some different kinds of reasons with that and just a little awkwardness to it and that kind of thing. I know you shouldn't have that, but I did. And uh, I was warmly greeted by several people. I walked in late, and there was a whole row of people at the end trying to come see me, which was great. 
And afterwards, I took the initiative to uh, ask one of the uh, staff pastors, who had been a friend of mine, but we'd sort of had a little bit of rough waters in my exit. And uh, I asked him, hey, you want to go to lunch? And we went to lunch. And um, his wife came, who had also been a part of staff. And uh, we talked for five hours in that restaurant. And... uh, So we could go this very hour. God was doing some good healing in my heart. Thank you, God. We talked another hour on the phone this week. Even, so. Anyone else? Just uh, thanking God for good things he does. The reconciliation of relationships. Freedom from addictive behaviors. What else has God been doing in your heart and soul this week? This summer. That's a praise. That's a real praise for your wife, for Kathy. It's great. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's great. Oh, wow, that's sweet. Oh, that is a prayer. That's great. Yeah, we've been praying for that in one of our life groups for long. So Amanda is uh, Greg and Sonia's daughter, and she had to change law schools in the middle of life, and that's not good. So it's great she got accepted. Anyone else? It's family day. There we go. Kimmy. On the journey. Great. A couple more. Anybody? That's totally fine.
Amen. Jason, thank you so much. Isn't that so true? And part of your praise in that is God's with us in the midst of storms, in the midst of the valleys. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, you are with me. And sometimes they are valleys. Seasons are. Anyone else? Well, let's jump into our series that we're doing this summer on the fruit of the Spirit. I want to thank uh, Greg England uh, from two weeks ago. Listen to his message. Greg did a great job on the subject of kindness. Thank you, Greg. And, uh, yeah, just so appreciative of him uh, using his gifts for us and, and being so transparent. Thanks, Greg. Appreciate that. We are moving our way through the fruits of the Spirit, as some people reference them. But the reality is it's not the fruits. It's really the fruit. Uh, the Spirit Himself has the fruit, and there are nine different flavors. And uh, as we walk through um, the verse that is in Galatians 5:22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We are on the subject of goodness today. Goodness. So here's my question to you: What is the good life? What is the good life? We're all pursuing the good life, right? I think there's that statement up on the next slide there, Justin. What is the good life? And uh, you probably can find it in some different categories, I guess. For some people, the good life is looking good. We spend a lot of time trying to make ourselves all prepped out, wearing the right styles, right hair, uh, you know, associating with the right, you know, kinds of dimensions of maybe our cultural, uh, ethnic kind of uh, relationships. What is the good life? Is it looking good? For some people, it's not looking good as much as it is feeling good. I just want to feel good. And so there's all kinds of pursuits, different kinds of things that might you might think might make you feel good. Maybe it's uh, some type of a vacation. Maybe it's some kind of uh, position in life. Maybe it's some type of, I don't know, adventure. Maybe it's some type of uh, medication. Might be feeling good, right? So there's all kinds of pursuits for feeling good. Uh, some people are just thrill seekers, one thrill after another. It was two Sundays ago, actually, uh, after the wedding, that uh, I was invited to go on some thrill seeking. Some of you might have seen it posted on Facebook, but here's a picture of me having the good life. But if you look at the picture real closely on this roller coaster, there are four people. Three of them are having the good life. But the old man in the front on the roller coaster, me, is not having a good life. Uh, We went to Cedar Point. If any of you know Cedar Point, it's up on Lake Erie in Michigan. It's one of the big amusement parks there. Uh, Benjamin's back here saying, yeah, I've been to Cedar Point. That's good, right? And I hadn't been there for a few years. You could spend your whole day going on not just rides. I mean, these things are super-duper kind of roller coasters, and I got put on a few of them. And when you get on a roller coaster, just, just some advice, adults, those of you who are aging, if your prominent thought from the beginning of the roller coaster ride is, when is this going to be over? You no longer are a thrill seeker for amusement parks. Okay? You're no longer feeling good. You're sort of feeling stressed a little bit. But uh, I was glad to be there with my three sons and to also be there with some other nieces and nephews and just sort of enjoy that day. But, you know, it sort of is indicative 
of how a lot of people live life. What's the good life? They're just looking to feel good. One ride after another ride. So maybe it's looking good. Maybe it's feeling good. For some people, it's finding and having the goods. Materialism and seeking all the kinds of possessions. But here's one of the challenges of the whole issue of pursuing the good life, as it's quoted that way, is that your looks will fade. If you haven't looked in the mirror recently, it's evidence. And not everybody thinks one thing looks good like another person thinks something looks good. So your definition of looking good may be different than the next person. So that doesn't really work. And the feeling good kind of thing, well, the feelings can come and go. If life's based on feelings, we know that's not a sound reason. And so, so also with the goods that we possess, they can come and they can go. So the good life is not to be anchored in any of those ways. We live in Southern California. There was a lot of energy spent in our area trying to find the good life. But the scriptures teach that the good life is really found in the Spirit of God. And when the Spirit of God becomes prominent in your life, and you invite the Spirit of Christ in your life to lead your life, He brings you goodness. Now, it doesn't mean that life's going to go well. As evidenced today with Jason's testimony, it's been a crappy summer, right? But that's not the definition of good. Good has much of a broader, bigger definition to it. And so um, let me give it this definition. What is the good life? I put it this way. Wholesome purpose and rightness for which we were created. Wholesome purpose and rightness for which we were created. If you find that rightness, God will begin giving you a good life. It says this in Ephesians 2.10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. The good works are tied in with the good purpose. And the good purpose is tied in with the wholesome uprightness that God calls us to and we are able to have through him. Now, it's interesting. I, um, if I was to take this Bible and I was to open it up, we would find uh, there's a lot of different um, definitions uh, of good. Goods in here all over the place. And we are going to walk ourselves through um, some truths here today. But I want to, first of all, establish this up front. We are not naturally good. Sort of the bad news before the good news today. And I'll tell you why. First of all, the Bible says it. Isaiah 53, 6. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Mark 10, 18. There was a person that came to Jesus, called him good teacher. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Anybody in the category of God alone today? No, no. Romans 3.23 you're familiar with. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this can be a big downer for me to mention this point, that we are not naturally good. But 
if you are on a trajectory in life thinking, oh, okay, so there's some goodness in me, I just need to live up to that, or I need to get better, those kinds of things, and you don't deal with what's referred to as our fallen sinful nature, the reality that all the way back to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, sin came into the world, and it's the human nature Though God's image is in the human being and he loves you and he created you and he died for you and he redeemed you. At the core, the human nature is sick and it's not good and left to itself. It will go into all kind of devices of evil. We live in a fallen, broken world. We do not live in paradise. And you're like, well, thank you for telling me that today, Carrie. I didn't know that. We do. And so every day, every week, we have to come to the recognition. And you're in relationships with people around you. I share with you a little bit about some of the reconciliation that happened in my life a week ago, right? And the reality is human being to human being, we are brokenness. And we bring our brokenness and our sin and our not goodness into all kinds of relationships around us. And we have to come to grips with that and wrestle with it. If you're to open your scriptures, the first place that you start to find the aspect of good is that God, in the beginning, in Genesis, he created. And what did he do after each day of creation? He created something, and then he stepped back and he said, Whoa, that's good. Right? Creates Adam. Adam's by himself. He goes, Oh, that's not good. And so he creates Eve. Then he steps back and he goes, Whoa. That's very good, right? This is where the whole idea that goodness comes from created purpose and uprightness of what God intended it to be. And if we find that goodness, that uh, purpose and rightness, then we will have the good life and goodness will start to work in us through God himself. But history also reveals that you and I are not naturally good. History going back to creation because shortly after that, Adam sinned and so... Whoa, not good. You're out of here. He kicked him out of Eden, right? And so we have this history of brokenness, of not goodness. In fact, history itself is almost um, an ongoing chronicle of people being inhuman to one another all over the place. History itself reveals that we are not naturally good. Look at the wars. When you watch the news events around the world, or maybe even things locally sometimes, you scratch your head and go, how is that? It's because the sinful nature, we are not inclined to goodness. Not only that is child rearing. If you're a parent here today, child rearing tells you that we are not naturally good. Did any of you need to teach your children that they needed to be selfish? Any of you need to teach your children to lie? Why do these things happen? Why did they happen when you were a kid? You did the very same things, right? Because there is this brokenness. So parenting reveals to us that as well. And then the last thing is this. My own heart convicts me of it. My own heart convicts me that there is not goodness in me to myself. But I want, I want the good life. That's not a lot of hope. I mean... Remember when your parents told you growing up, it's like, hey, um, have fun and be good. You're like, is that possible to have fun and be good at the same time? <laughs> right? You have this longings 
in your heart for goodness and beauty, but you realize sort of where you're bent towards um, that it's just not working out. Well, we are not naturally good, but that brings us actually not to a place of despair. It brings us to a place of hope. Concerning my own heart that convicts me of this, Jeremiah 13:23 says this, Can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard his spots? Neither can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil. A person with a dark skin color, can they change it? A person with a light skin color, can they change it? Helpless to do it. This is the condition of our soul and who we are. But yet, marketing, television, billboards, uh, internet solicitation, have the good life, have the good life. This is what you need to pursue. And you're like, but... But I'm not there yet. I, I'm not. It's not measuring up. I, I've been trying to look good and feel good and get the goods, but it's just not working. There's hope. Romans 7:15, though, the Apostle Paul identifies with the misery that we're in, and I'd like you, if you're actually, you have your scriptures today to turn there. I'd like to read part of Romans 7. It says this. I'm going to begin with verse 14 out of the New Living Translation. The law is good then. The trouble is not with the law, the word of God, but with me. This is the Apostle Paul, all right? So you may be thinking like, well, I'm not some super Christian. Super Christians sort of get there. No, this is Paul. The trouble is not with the law, but with me, because I am sold into slavery with sin as my master. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that. I agree that the law is good. But I can't help myself because it is sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. I know I'm rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try to do not to do wrong, I Do it anyway. But if I am doing what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. The sin within me is doing it. It's this nature. It seems to be the fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Any of you in that category? I know my heart. I love God's law. I love what He would like to be good. With all my heart, But there's something else at work in me, another law at work in me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to sin, and it is still within me. I love verse 24. I identify with it so well. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. I tell you what, friends, I don't care where you're at in your uh, spiritual interest this morning. I don't care how your summer's gone or not gone so well. That is really, really, really good news there. Is that when we acknowledge and we understand that we are a miserable people and that we cannot be free, we feel we can't be free from a a life dominated by sin and death and non-goodness, What's the Apostle Paul come to in Romans 7? He steps back and he goes, Whoa, this is not good, but thank God! 
the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. There is an answer for your struggle and my struggle in the depth of our heart concerning goodness. And it's the one who is perfect, the one who is good. Jesus told that their young person, there is no one good except God. And Jesus himself claimed to be God. And Jesus himself says that you can have him possess your life. Your goodness, hope, is found in the hope of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. It's not about getting all your life turned around and grabbing the things, looking good and feeling good and getting the goods. It's about getting the one who is good in your life and letting his goodness live through you. We are not naturally good, but know this. Our goodness is a gift from God. Have you received the gift? I'm a wretched person. You may say if people knew my history, if they knew what I was doing now, my double-mindedness, my lustful thoughts, my indifferent, my dishonesty in my business, whatever, you know, you know you're not living where you need to be. Why is that? Because there's conviction that comes to your heart. God wants to change that. But your hope is not just getting to be a new and improved individual or a better person or getting on the, the works righteousness treadmill of, yeah, I guess got to get to church, got to read this, got to do, you know. No, your hope is in receiving the gift of Jesus Christ in your life. Have you received him as your Savior and your leader, as your Lord, and as the one who is God? Every good and perfect gift, Scripture says, comes from above. And that goodness of God wants to come and dwell in your life. So if you're not someone who's maybe defined as been a religious person or not really someone who says, I've ever crossed the line of faith and made a commitment to follow Jesus Christ, I want to encourage you to do that today. Your hope for goodness is found in Him. And that's why in this list of the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That right in the middle of this list is this sense of what is perfect and upright. The Holy Spirit, when he comes into your life, he brings you goodness. Then you choose to say no to the sinful nature. You choose to see yes to the life in the Spirit. And he begins to not only give you the desire to be good, he gives you the power to be good. And that power transforms your life from one day to the next to the next. Any of you who came to know Christ and your life was pretty like it was messed up in some ways, right? Did you automatically the very next day everything changed for you? Now, hope changed. You knew your sins were forgiven. But there were still patterns in your life. That goodness wasn't really showing its head. And some of us, after many, many, many years of walking with Jesus, for me, many, many, many years, all the way back to when I was a teenager, I still look at myself sometimes and go, oh, that's not good. Because God's working on us. 
And he's changing us day in and day out. And what I'd like to do now is just give you some ways to learn that we need to stay on this pathway of learning to do good. Learning to do good. The first is this. Master your Bible. Like, oh, you're going to go off on that again. The pastor's always talking about the Bible and reading the Bible. Master the Bible, okay. We have a culture around us that's continually speaking to us all kinds of values. You are being indoctrinated. You are being educated. You are being influenced at every turn. And if the Word of God is not a consistent diet in your life and mine, then we will not have pointers that head us in the direction of what is good, what is wholesome. When we think in terms of values and, and things that are promoted, you know, as, you know, uh, okay today. I read a statistic this week that um, seven... of people now believe that polygamy is moral. They increased 10% in the last 10 years, 12% in the last 10 years. And, you know, you just sort of look at the dominoes of some things and go, okay, is that just because, well, if you don't have a foundation for a moral basis in life, then you're going to go by popularity vote. All right? Master your Bible in part because the Bible helps us define and understand what is good. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God, is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. When I was home this last week, I you know, got a little bit of time with my mother. My mother's 87 years old. Uh, she has a nice little recliner in her bedroom, and so she sort of gets there when she wants to get away from all of us kids and noise and stuff like that when we come back around. And I walked in to say something to her uh, one afternoon, and there she was sitting in her recliner chair with her big Bible open at 87 years of age. And I said, oh, you're reading your Bible. She, she goes, yeah, I still try to do it some every day. It's helpful. I don't understand it all still. I thought, man, I hope when I'm 87 years old, I have a daily routine still of reading the Word of God. Because it's a mirror. It's going to reflect into my life. Because I have all kinds of voices going on around me. I have my own sinful nature that's trying to, you know, steer me in some directions that aren't good. I need the Word of God speaking and breathing into my life. So I encourage you to master your Bible. It will help you to learn to do good as the Holy Spirit, the one who is good, dwells within you. Number two is this. Guard your mind. Guard your mind. Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Matthew 26, 22 says this, Your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that 
darkness is indeed. I um, I know it's probably um, old school to say, be careful what you're watching on TV. Right? Like, oh, come on. But television affects how you think. There's a lot of beauty in the arts, television, drama, movies, those kinds of things that capture our sense of wonder and thrall us in a story. So I'm not like big time. But there are certain values that are being propagated to us, and you have to learn to guard your mind. Otherwise, it's a slippery slope of thinking, well, maybe that's not so bad. Maybe that's okay if that's still a part of my character in life. What do we end up doing? Well, we end up comparing ourselves to other people, rather comparing ourselves to the perfect one who is God who dwells within us. Stories told of a, a, a mom who had uh, one of her children came up and says, Mommy, I'm, a, I'm eight foot tall. She goes, Oh, you are. You're eight foot tall. Yes, I am eight foot tall. And so she said, Well, what are you using to measure yourself? And he pulled out a six-inch ruler. When you compare yourself to other people trying to establish what good is, you won't get there. That's why you need to be in the Word, mastering your Bible. What's the Bible say about goodness and wholesomeness and the things that are of God? You need to then guard your mind so that you're not assuming that you can on your own define what is good or that you're not affected by that which is evil or even if it's not the big time E word of evil, it's just off the mark. Missing the mark is what sin means from God. It says this in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think about some such things. You know, I don't have the quote with me, but uh, it was a quote that I carried through the years. Malcolm Muggeridge was... Um, quoting another gentleman who had been a lot in the visual worlds and the media world. And he said, there's nothing so beautiful, there's nothing so transcendent and incredible as the good. And there's nothing so hideous in life as the evil. But many times in the fictional world, evil is attractive and full of charm. And good is boring and flat. And sometimes I watch things and I think through them in my mind, how is this being visually presented to me in the culture that I live in that the good is boring and flat, staying in one monogamous marriage your whole life and being faithful to your spouse and building you know, a cohesive family? That's sort of boring and flat. But, oh, look at the attraction and the charm of the evil of having an affair or being unfaithful. And so we're enticed in these kinds of ways. And we have to work at guarding our minds so that we understand that truth is defined not by that which is pressed upon us, because it's being pressed upon us in many ways by a fallen culture as well, but it's coming directly from the Word of God, from God Himself. 
that says this is what's good. And so we put into the discipline, you know, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, think on such things. So when I observe the beauty of a mother taking care of a child and being endeared to that, I go, Lord, that is beautiful. That is good. When I see somebody with humility acknowledge a transition in the government, as I witnessed this week from somebody I know to be a solid believer in Christ, I go, that is good. Because they could have said a lot of things, but they didn't. Do you observe goodness and find yourself attracted to it? Or do you find enticement by that which has the parameters or the edges of evil and wrongdoing? Guard your mind. Guard your mind. Number three is this. Develop convictions. Um, Yeah, I probably better not park here too long. Do, Do you know the difference between uh, an opinion and a conviction. An opinion is something that you hold. A conviction is something that holds you. Big difference. So opinions may be come and go, but what are the deep-rooted convictions that hold you fast? And you won't let them go because they've got a hold of you. All right? Romans 12:9 says, Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. In our culture today, we are getting bombarded with, I, I, I don't um, blame people. I don't get on some preacher hobby horse and go, oh, look at this. I go, Satan, I hate you. Because I see him twisting and contorting things that are of value and of goodness with God. You know, I've interacted some with Joe as he's on the journey of student ministry and those kinds of things. And we talk about some of the things that our students are up against today. Stuff I never had to be up against. You know, the whole gender identification issues and the whole, uh, you know, whether it's enticements in, in a drug culture or other kinds of aspects as it relates to morality and things. And I go, Satan, you are so evil. Because God created us, male and female, in the beauty of the heavens. God created for there to be oneness, intimacy, communion in our marriages. And you see it attacked and attacked and attacked. And you're told to just chill out. Don't just be nice. Be kind. You know, different things for different folks. Well, friends, if the Holy Spirit's within you, the God who created human beings, male and female, who created gender identities, who created the beauty, then there's a conviction that comes within us when we see certain things that are pushed in our culture. And you sit and you go, that is not right. And it's okay to have that conviction. Now, I understand why everybody says, well, you're supposed to, you know, hate the sin and love the sinner. And what we end up doing a lot of times as Christians, even as we we hate the sinner and and we can love the sin kind of thing. It's like, no, it all gets twisted in our mind. But you see the individuals, and maybe you're in that world today, 
that God is pressing, that the world's pressing upon you challenges to live upright and as God created you to be. And you do not look at the individual and get mad at them. Get mad at the devil who seeks to bring corruption and division and degradation and debauchery into our world. And it's all right. Part of your conviction about that which is evil is actually goodness from the Holy Spirit. Because goodness hates what is evil. How you then approach that evil is very critical because you do love, you genuinely love, you see the individual and the worth that they have or a situation that's been contorted to lead people astray and you see the mastermind behind it, but you yourself stay in a disposition of care and love and reaching out and accepting people for who they are. But you're not accepting the twistedness of the evil of the world around us. Do you get where I'm going with this? We could pull out a lot more particulars in this, but I chose not to do a lot of particulars because then we all get off on the issues. I'm talking the big picture. The devil is against goodness prevailing in our world. And so he will fight it from every different angle to be able. And that's why it says cling to what is good. Hold fast. Keep a hold of it. Do not, do not be wishy-washy. Have convictions let them lead you in life. Second Timothy 3 is another passage I just want to walk us through here real quick. You should know this, Timothy. Paul's writing this to Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride and love and pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that they could that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. Friends, this isn't new. In fact, the cultures that Paul did with were more decadent in many ways than what we're seeing today. But he was mindful of his instruction to people to be careful to be careful, to stay true to those convictions and to stay clear from becoming a part of uh, an accepted, immoral culture that's around them. Develop the convictions. 1 Peter 2.19 says this, For God is pleased when conscious, conscious, conscious of His will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. And then he gives this beautiful expose of Christ's suffering for us. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, never ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted nor threatened revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who was always judging fairly. He personally carried our sins in his own body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds we are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away. But now, now, hey, good news, good news, very good news. You have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. 
keep and develop convictions that are in line with God's word. Number four is this, and I'll just mention the last two quickly. Fortify courage to be different. You will have to muster up the courage to be different in a world that's around you. The scriptures does not teach, Jesus did not pray that you should be taken out of the world. Nor did he tell you to isolate yourself from the world. Jesus prayed for your protection in this world. Your insulation from the world. Because he knows what's coming at you when you choose to be good. Third John, 3 John 11 says this, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Everyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil is not, has not seen God. We go to the last one, number five. Meet with other believers. Um, What you're doing this morning helps you in learning to do good. Because we need to spur one another on. As it says in Hebrews 10, 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect, let us not neglect our meeting together as some do but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We, um, as a church community, one of the reasons I do an open kind of mic like what I just did, or we encourage about being in life groups, which will get ramped up here again in the fall in just a few weeks, is that left unto ourselves, it's hard to live the truly good life. But with Christ in us, working through us as we allow ourselves to let his truth and his word control our minds and as we allow his word to develop within us deep convictions and we muster the courage to live in a godly, upright, purpose-filled life as God intended even though we are around fallenness. We need one another to be championed on. Team is going to come up. We're going to close with a song as we worship this morning. I want you to know that it does not matter this morning where you are at and your definition of how much goodness is in your life. We want to be here for you. You see, when God's goodness comes within us, it's being compelled to live through us. It can get squelched. It can get detoured, but God is not going to let go of you. And we don't want to let go of you either. We are a biblical community. We have dysfunction, but we're seeking always to be more of a functioning biblical community, as I put it, because we need to cheer and champion one another on in this area of goodness. With the way that we find ourselves in our communities, our communities need God's people to bring God's goodness at every turn. Will you resubmit yourself in worship as we close to let His goodness reign in your life and be lived through your life in community with one another 
as we seek to be on mission and serve his purposes. Jesus stepped, God stepped back and said, Oh, this is good. Wouldn't it be beautiful as God continues to oversee us as a church community? He steps back and he goes, Whoa, that awakening community. This is good. They're allowing my goodness through my spirit to be brought to a world around them. Look at the beauty of that. Ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings. Let's worship as we close. Thank you, Jordan, for leading us.